welcome to another episode as we focus on Jesus' pattern for his church. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel these words, I will build my church. And then throughout the New Testament, we have progressive revelation from the Gospels through the book of Acts and, of course, the epistles. And ultimately, in the book of the Revelation, we have this wonderful progressive understanding of the church of Jesus Christ. We know that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We know also that we can unintentionally, unwittingly, and sometimes sadly, deliberately, defile the church. That is, bring it down from that wonderful level that Christ had ordained it to be. We're going to have a look at a very interesting comparison between the call of God on Israel and the church. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, we have these wonderful words of Almighty God through Moses to Israel. He tells them of their lofty calling as a nation. He says in verse 6 of chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now God had a plan, he had a purpose, and he had an unction on Israel because he had a desire and a calling for her. Well, he has a calling on the church. That is, those that are Jews and Gentiles brought out of this world through a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and who have become his body on earth. By contrast with Deuteronomy chapter 7, let's go across to 1 Peter. And there we're going to listen to what Peter says, again under the unction and the anointing and the inspiration of the Spirit of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we read these words. Speaking of the church, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And then he goes on to admonish, to encourage, and to challenge the church. Beloved, he calls them, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct, that is your lifestyle, honourable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, 
glorify God in the day of visitation. Now let's go and dissect or discern or evaluate what has just been said. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You know, when we live in the flesh, we walk in the flesh, that is within the confines of our humanity. When we don't have a reliance upon and as a result of that reliance, a moving of the spirit in our lives, in our midst, then we become fleshly and we become very, very undermining of that miraculous impartation of the spirit that God has given to the church. And so we devalue ourselves and we certainly devalue the gospel when we slip into living, yes, sometimes even sincerely, but living in the flesh, following God, but after the manner of a contained mind and understanding. God wants us to live in revelation so that our preaching will be with power. Now we turn back to 1 Corinthians and we have the testimony of Paul's testimony when he went to Corinth. And he reminds the church there of the fact that when he came to them, he personally came in weakness. He didn't come in great strength and power personally, but he came in weakness. Let me just reiterate that. He says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and even in much trembling. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. Now verse 4 says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what he's saying here is that the church of itself is very, very human, but the miraculous impartation of the Spirit transforms the church into the oracle of God, speaking with profound understanding and power. And we remember that that indeed was the portion or the experience of those that watched Stephen in the book of Acts. Do you remember that remarkable narrative there when Stephen, who was one of the chief deacons, and a spokesman for the Lord was on trial before the Sanhedrin. And he had to give a very, very clear indication and profound testimony of his faith. And the Bible says that as he stood there, full of the Holy Ghost, it seemed as though he had the face of an angel. And you know, many people have been in meetings and have 
like Stephen, seen a spokesman or a spokeswoman of God standing in simplicity and in faith and in purity of heart, reliant on the Holy Spirit, suddenly they are transformed. Now, the uh, apostle Stephen, which indeed is what he was, really, he was a deacon, but at that moment he became a one that was transformed. And the Bible says, all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. Now that didn't prevent him from being martyred, because in the seventh chapter, we find that as he denounced those that were living in the flesh, following the edicts of men, and the commandments of man and not following God, that full of the Holy Ghost, they ran upon him and they cut him down and, of course, they stoned him to death. And then at that moment, as he was dying, he called out, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord, cast him out of the city, stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their outer garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as he knelt down, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, he, he was the example of the church under fire. And he exemplified the very nature of the head of the church, who when he was being crucified, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And Stephen said much the same, Oh, Father, Lord, don't lay this sin to them as a charge for them to be in any way judged and in any way held to account because of my death. Selflessness. This is one of the great, one of the paragon virtues of believers. Selflessness. And Jesus said to his disciples, when he was with them, if any man follows me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, we devalue the church when we put ourselves on a pedestal. When we begin to focus on man and focus on methodology and focus on programs and agendas and anything other than Christ, what we're doing is we are watering down not only the gospel, the message we've been given to deliver, but we've also, we've also discredited Jesus. We've taken him out of the focus, out of the limelight, and put ourselves in that place. And when we do that, as I've said, we devalue ourselves and certainly the gospel that we preach. Now, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and they were a mixed bag, to say the least. 
they were an unusual group, a mixture of Jew and Gentile who had come through the preaching of Paul and subsequently others came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he wrote these words, and this is the foundation. And uh, this is what he says about the foundation of the church, the gospel, and how we should esteem not only ourselves, but our place in the body of Christ. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest. And the day, that is the day of evaluation, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? This is the church, collectively and the believer individually. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone devalues or defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 from verse 11 down to verse 17. Well, friends, we need to realize that we are part of a glorious body, the body of Christ, which has been redeemed through the precious blood of the new covenant. We are not only redeemed, but we are called and we are there to stand before the Lord on behalf of a lost world and to preach to that world the clear, unmistakable gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John in the book of the Revelation had much to say about the church. And from chapter 2 and chapter 3, he addresses a message to seven churches. And these seven churches were in Asia Minor, which is Western Turkey today. And as he spoke to these churches and sent out messages. Those messages are very compelling for all of us as well. The first one was to Ephesus, and he was very commending of them and, and encouraging them at first, and tells them how, yes, they have maintained many, many good aspects of their discipleship. They have been very, very careful to evaluate people who say they are apostles and are not, found them to be liars. And you have persevered with patience and have laboured for my name's sake and have not become weary. But there was one little thing that was going to bring them down. 
And what was it? It was that they had left their first love. You know, you can be doctrinally perfect. You can be structurally sound. You can be vicious against error or apostasy or anything that is not right biblically and yet have a heart that is cold. And one of the most important things that will devalue the church is when it says the truth, but out of a cold and indifferent heart. We need to be what we preach. We need to be fervent in spirit because our heart burns within us. Now, the church at Smyrna was going through a lot of persecution. And Jesus said to them, I know your works and the tribulation and the poverty that you've experienced. I know that those things that you live amongst is hard. But he said, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. And the church will go through hard times. And we know from our own experience in this present age that there is a lot of persecution in the world today directed solely and totally at the Church of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you were to go today to North Korea and you even had a Bible in your possession, you could be jailed indefinitely, even as a visitor. If you went there and handed out a tract, we would probably never see you again or hear from you again. You would be put into one of the work camps and there you would be starved and you would have to work hard labour. And many of our believers, our Christian brothers and sisters, young, old and in between, have spent years in captivity. And the simple reason was they lived in an environment that was hostile to the gospel. So being part of the church, a glorious church, a wonderful church, a privileged church, doesn't mean that you're exempt from persecution. And then the church at Pergamos, well, they had allowed Baal worship. They were almost becoming idol worshippers. And there was a very strong message to them. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. There was a group of people in that regional church that were living in an apostate way. But the Bible says we are called to holiness. We are called to be separate. And in our last episode, we looked at the wonderful prayer of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 17, on the eve before he faced his betrayal, his trial, and then of course the cross. And he said many things in that prayer. And he knew, he knew that the church that would come as a result of the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost would face many, many times of testing and persecution. 
And he said these words. He said, Father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. There is a tendency in many places today, especially in the Western sphere of the church, and that is to become very appetizing to the world, to please the world, to identify with the world, with our music and our presentations and our, our all kinds of programs. They're geared to be spectacular. But I remember not so many years ago when a very fervent friend of ours took their friend to one of the local congregations here in Townsville, and it could have been anywhere in America, Canada, Australia, the UK, it could have been anywhere in Europe. But when they went there, they sat through a very interesting program. And this man was rough-hewn. He was not born again. This friend of our friend was certainly a godless man. But he just said one night over dinner, you know, if there was a God, I would want to know him. And so our friend, being very sharp, said, well, why don't you come with us to church? And they took him to their church. And as they settled into the service, the lights went out, and then there were all kinds of floodlights and uh, all kinds of strobe lighting and loud music, and, and it was quite a show. Our friends were quite impressed. But at the end of the meeting, after a rather dissatisfying message, they went out and they were walking in the car park to the car and they could see that this man that they'd taken was sort of a bit grumpy. And they said to him, Bob, how did you enjoy tonight? And when he settled in the car, he said, with a few expletives, which I will not repeat, he said, if I wanted to go to a stage show, there's a theatre in town. If I wanted to go to a nightclub, I know where to go in this city. I came tonight wanting to find God. I wanted to hear his voice and seek his presence and sense his presence. But all I got was a show. And that just smote my friend's heart. They thought, what are we doing? We're trying to impress people. And Jesus said something quite foreign to that, that desire to please people according to what they're used to in the world. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, just as I am not of the world. I pray that you will preserve them holy, humble, factual, and powerful in testimony. Sanctify them by your truth. Set them apart. 
And you know, the, the glory of the church is that it's set apart. We demean ourselves. We demean the gospel. We demean our testimony when we try to wrap it up in the trappings of this world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. How deep is the truth of God in your life and mine? I don't know, and I will never ever judge you, but I will judge myself. I ask the Lord, how deep am I? How close am I? How distant from the world? Loving the souls in the world, loving what you've planned for them, but not tainted by the world. The Bible says, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. So we don't want to see the church defeated. We don't want to see it devaluating. We don't want to see the church depleted and being dismantled. One of the most sobering messages of Revelation chapter 3 is when we read these words. And so many times over the years, we've heard it in the context of a gospel presentation. It's got little to do with preaching the gospel. It says here in the 20th verse of chapter 3 of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. And I will sup with him. I will dine with him. I will commune with him. And he with me. The picture is painful. Because you see, Jesus is on the outside of his church. And the church has no comprehension, no understanding, no awareness that he's not in the midst. Just as Samson shook himself, believing that the Spirit was with him to be able to fight the Philistines and did not know that the Spirit had departed. This church of Laodicea did not know that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, was not in its midst. Why? Because it was self-centered and self-satisfied. The 17th verse says, you say, says Jesus to them, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. But do you not know that from my vantage point you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked? And I'm on the outside trying to get in. We don't want the church to be defiled by worldliness and sin. We don't want it to be defeated by prayerlessness and a watered-down testimony and message. We don't want it to be devalued 
and Christ to be devalued because we're trying to wrap the message up in a worldly parcel. We want the church to be strong in the name of Jesus and to know his power and his blessing. Pray to that end. And I'll see you in our next episode when we talk further about the church in the end time. Mm -hmm.